Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for lack of insight and for baseless opinions. Today is April 25th, 2023, and this is episode 361. My name is Jake English. And prepare those old man yells at cloud memes because I'm Matt Taylor. That's right. Scott is still on international assignment. And in the meantime, Matt and I will go around the bases in the week that was Orioles baseball. And we'll also adjust our foil hats. And we'll do all that right after we lubricate the show. It's time for the drink of the week. Matt Taylor, what is your drink of the week? Jake, after the past week, I am drinking nothing but orange Kool-Aid. Now, as we record this, it's a little more bitter than it's been over the past week, but I'm still going to imbibe. I'm going to indulge. I'm going to go overboard on the orange Kool-Aid. I like it. I, I love all of that. In fact, I'm going to watch you drink your orange Kool-Aid with my orange-colored glasses. Uh, but for my drink of the week, I am working my way through a, a bullet bourbon, mostly because of the bitterness of defeat uh, here on, on Tuesday night for the Baltimore Orioles and, and perhaps for the bitterness of defeat for my um, 12U Hornets. But that having been said... It's an excellent drink of the week, week choice. If you're interested to see what Scott and I are, are imbibing on a daily, weekly, or game-by-game -game basis, come and find us on Untapped. I'm at jakee4025. Scotty is at magn8606. And to be honest with you, he's out there in Germany. It ought to be very interesting for this past two weeks. And with that, we're going to head on over to the medical wing. Matt, first with the medical wing, I want to talk about Dylan Tate because I have been incredibly, I don't know if pessimistic is the right word or if perhaps it's whiny. I have been very doubtful that Dylan Tate was going to make a quick and effective recovery, especially with the forearm. And now I'm wondering if maybe my, my fear was overblown. Uh, he's told the media that he's going to need to make about five to six rehab appearances to feel comfortable, to feel himself. And he's set to pitch at Aberdeen pretty soon. And so let me just ask you to, to look into the crystal ball that you've got there in the, uh, in the office and tell me, is Dylan Tate going to be okay? Well, you know, you're my opinion leader, my influencer on Orioles baseball. And I've listened and I've, I've shared the pessimism saying, this is just an undiagnosed Tommy John surgery. And then all of a sudden we find out he's he's coming back. I'm I'm continuing to drink the orange orange Kool-Aid, so I'm going to believe it. I'm going to say he's going to be back. He's going to slot into the bullpen, and we're going to have a good problem with too many arms in the bullpen. Which imagine that just a week or so ago we wouldn't have uh, wouldn't have thought that would be a problem. Fair enough. Similar topic. Michael Givens coming back from the knee injury. He's set to go on a rehab assignment this week. He could be another piece to that bullpen as well. And I'm kind of surprised that. He's behind Tate in terms of the rehab process. Because like, like you, I did share a concern that Tate was one we weren't going to see. And then to find out that you might get them both back, but Tate is now more likely to be earlier than Givens. It's a bit of a surprise. Yeah. But uh, again, could, could not uh, come soon enough. 
Next, we have John Means, who was down with the Thomas Edward John Jr. surgery. He threw a bullpen on Saturday, which included breaking pitches. Again, every time I hear that he moved that left arm and that nothing fell apart and that nothing caught on fire, I am delighted. That lovely left arm, yes. I, even before the season, right, I've been looking forward to the return of John Means. And so uh, it'll be exciting you know, to track his progress and to finally see him come back. It's going to be impossible not to expect too much. You know, I can tell myself, be rational and know that it's going to take time before he's the John Means of old, but uh, I'm still going to go in with the, the same excitement. And it's, it'll give the Orioles a nice boost when he comes back. Usually we're thinking you know, mid-season prospects or late-season prospects that can come up. Uh, it's exciting to know that you know, we've got a bit of a known commodity who hopefully can round into form for uh, the Orioles' playoff run. There, I said it. it. Well, it's funny because a, a couple of weeks ago or last week, I don't know, somewhat recently, I, I said out loud, that when it came to Grayson Rodriguez, I would accept in my heart nothing but greatness and understanding how ridiculous that sentence is. I will be satisfied with nothing but greatness from John Means when he returns as well. It's the fan in me. It, it's not fair. It's not rational. It's not intelligent. Hi, welcome to Bird's Eye View. I'm right there with you. Lastly, and the only reason I mention this is because there have been so many concerns about the Orioles pitching staff. I would just simply point out that Spencer Watkins, who's been pitching and been starting at AAA, is on the seven-day AAA IL with a finger laceration in his fourth finger, which I believe is a spring finger. I was told there would be no math, but if we're looking for options to bring somebody up, or I hope Spencer Watkins doesn't factor into the calculus at all, but if he does, he's hurt. I just want to say thanks. I'd forgotten about the name Spencer Watkins, so uh, I'm learning. Yes, still an Oriole. I'm worried at this point that we've said it so many times in the mirror that he's going to show up. And that'll do it here in the medical wing. The medical wing is is nice light at the moment, and I'd like to keep it that way. Let's keep those doors locked and not admit any additional patients. And with that, we're going to move right ahead to this week on the Twitters. Take a look at Orioles baseball at 280 characters or fewer. Matt Taylor, you are the guest of honor this evening, and you were kind enough to do your homework, which is a very un-Bird's Eye View-like activity. And therefore, I'm going to roll out the red carpet for you, my friend, and just make sure that you're comfortable. Why don't you go ahead and take the selections for this week on the Twitters? Well, I am honored indeed, and I hope one day I can earn the orange carpet from Bird's Eye View, but I know it takes time to build up to that, so I'll settle for the red carpet for now. And I want to thank Birdland because, you know, Twitter hasn't been the uh, most fun place in the past several months. A lot of hand-wringing and agony about the future of Twitter. I shared in that, but then baseball season started, and it was just like old times reminding me why I love being a baseball fan and a baseball fan on Twitter. So let's get started right away. One of those fans that's helping me to remember why I love Twitter and Birdland Twitter uh, is Skipjack at Skipjack0079, who tweeted during the game on April 21st, Baker has been extremely good since I suggested he do unspeakable things to a donkey a week or so ago. And I did not only get a laugh, but replied to, to Skipjack to say that we had now officially identified the, the turning point to which he responded, need to tell CNL what he should be doing with a goat. So I think Skipjack is our source of all things turnaround in the bullpen. 
And if we have any struggles from those gentlemen that come out of the medical wing, uh, that maybe we ought to uh, ask Skipjack to send a message their way and turn things around. I'm not really sure that I understand the process. And I think maybe it would be great if he could draw me a diagram, perhaps of, of the things that he was describing. You know, explain it to me like I'm five, is I, th is I think what I need to hear. So if you could just get back to us on that. Uh, again, I, I want to learn, I want to grow. Jake is a visual learner. So Skipjack, you know, if you're listening, please provide some, some pictures next time. So we'll move on because we can't really go anywhere good after that. And this one comes to us from Sarah Bear at Sarah Bear, that's B-A-E-R 5678. And she actually quote tweeted an Orioles tweet uh, that had our man Yanir Cano uh, said, the stare, the swag. And in her quote tweet, she says, hashtag, the more you can know with a rainbow and a star, a play on the old NBC, the more you know PSAs. And I've got to say that as Cano has taken off, I've loved being part of this journey. I think I, uh, after one of the games, you know, with putting Ain't the Beer Cold, it was also Bose and Cano. And I thought I was somewhat cute, but knew I hadn't hit the mark. And then I saw Sarah's and I said, she, she has hit the mark with the more you can know. And I think it should become a thing. Uh, first of all, I do love this. This is, this is great. Yours is good. Hers is great. There is another that I'd like to throw out there for consideration. And I, I talk about it all the time. My favorite Orioles podcast is the Baltimoreans. I am delighted that they are back recording regularly. It fills me with glee. If you're not listening to the Baltimoreans, you need to stop. Pause this right now. Go listen to their most recent episode. Then come on back if you dare. But I think it's Alan who has gone to saying, uh, if you don't know, now Yanir Cano. <laughs> and I love that. I love, I've probably butchered it, but I love it. So I, I'm going to throw that out there as a, as a contender as well. But uh, yeah, Sarah Bear's got a good one here. Moving on, we've got Jason Stanford at Jace, J-A-S, Stanford. And um, this one is, is, you know, ain't the beer cold with the hashtag Orioles, hashtag Birdland at the end of the game. And this is not something new that uh, is, is just happening. This is kind of a regular part of Jason's repertoire. But with the ain't the beer cold, he includes the image of Tim Riggins of Friday Night Lights fame, having a little swig of beer and kind of giving the raised eyebrows. Now, Jason Stanford is an Orioles fan deep in the heart of Texas currently. So the combination of the Ain't the Beer Cold, which speaks that Orioles history together with Friday Night Lights, it's just a thing of beauty. And I, I'm glad I had the chance on the podcast to shout it out because I've really come to appreciate that. I look for it after wins. Clear tweet, can't lose. Oh, well played. I'm, I'm in the big leagues now. I got to step up my game here. All right, so let's round out this week on the Twitters uh, with a tweet from Lindsay, the Cupcake Girl. I'm sure there's a story there. And this is at plus, P-L-U-S underscore Lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y. And along with photos, three lovely photos, it said, I said yes today. Orioles magic rubbed off on me. Today feels like a movie. Hashtag I said yes. Hashtag engaged. And then two emojis of an engagement ring. And again, three photos of the lovely couple getting engaged. Now, I want to point out this is outside the ballpark. This is not a um, jumbotron proposal, which I 
would not respond to quite as well. But in this case, I saw it and, and I thought that's very sweet. Uh, two Orioles fans here. And I, I thought it was a cute moment on the, the Twitters. And so that's why I added it uh, kind of in the final spot here this week. Yeah, I, I love this. First of all, Mazel Tov to the, the happy couple. That's amazing. I, I also love the fact that, yes, I agree, inside the ballpark maybe has a different vibe. But, you know, these are two people that that obviously, in in addition to so many other meaningful things, share a love of the Baltimore Orioles and, you know, what could be finer. But it does make me wonder this, Matt, and so let me turn the question to you. What is the most romantic thing you have done in the ballpark or in relation to Orioles baseball. Ooh, and I mean, and I mean a... with a significant other, not like, you know, in your relationship with the team. Correct. I, I got you there. That that's a very uh very difficult question. I it's not romantic, okay? So I'm I'm right away gonna not answer the question like uh, a politician might do, but I will say that as a kind of unique angle to my wife and my relationship when we were dating um i wanted to share my love for the orioles she's a nashville native were you mad at her (laughs) this was not a punishment it was more of a test right more of a test how much does she really like me but our first game together um at camden yards we got a walk-off home run from rafael palmero and um you know while things with rafael palmero's name went south you know not long after that in the moment, it was a very nice, <laughs> and the finger wag, yes, a very nice uh, kind of start to things and thought, well, that's that's special. So not necessarily something romantic that that I've done, um, and I'm sure later something will come to me. If it does, I'll just rudely interrupt you while you're talking and say I came up with that's something. That's fine. I'll, I'll drop it. I'll drop it right in there as if you answered it on the spot. That's what that's what go. sound editing is for. I I have uh, so many fond memories of attending uh, baseball games with my wife. Uh, she is one of my favorite people to watch baseball with. I'm probably sure I'm sure that I'm probably not her favorite person to watch baseball with, just because I get so into it. But I remember that first summer that we started dating, me being at a baseball game, her being possibly in Ocean City with her boyfriend at the time, family and us spending about three innings on the phone with me on the concourse and her camped away hiding from the family in question. Uh, and that's, that's, you know, right around the time that I knew that that something good was cooking. So I don't know that I can be in the ballpark without thinking of that particular call. And, uh, you know, 17 years later, two kids later, it, it seems to have worked out okay, at least for me in the baseball club. There you go. That's good stuff. So that'll do it here for this week on the Twitters. We're going to go ahead, take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to see what's playing on PBS. Hello and welcome to another installment of Conspiracy Theory Theatre. Tonight we take a break from our long-running series called Imagine Threats Against Wealthy White Straight Conservative Men and turn our attention instead to the world of sport. Sport in general is an almost unparalleled source of conspiracy theory fodder. 
with fans so very willingly drawn to tales of the active interest of almighty deities, impartiality of officiating, and dark, dark magic of a place called Fenway. In this installment of Conspiracy Theory Theatre, we bring you a dramatic reenactment of a conversation between two fans of the Baltimore Orioles, who are convinced of complex, ever-growing treacheries designed to extract from their experience of baseball every last trace of joy. Matt, I don't know if you're aware, but they're out to get the Orioles. All of them. They're all out to get the Orioles. And I, I got to tell you, I'm so sick of the officiating being so bad in baseball. We've got replay. The robo-umps are coming. Why? Why does it feel like it's getting worse? It's going to get worse. And sometimes they say it'll get worse before it gets better, but it's not going to get better. How long have you been an Orioles fan? You know this is how it goes. Listen, they're going to bring in the robot-umps, but they're going to program them to favor the Yankees and Red Sox. And then when tiny little baseball towns that love their team, like the Orioles, come along and complain about it, they're going to say, listen, this is impartial. This is the robots. It's like artificial intelligence. You can't question it. Chat GPT, does that get anything wrong? Bad example. But yeah, we're, we're, we're screwed either way. We're screwed either way. They're out to get us. They always have been. They always will be, with the exception of like late 60s, early 70s. Um, but other than that, always turning point was Tony Tarasco. It was all downhill after that. They just got they got encouraged right after that moment, and the umps have been well, uh, they've been brazen ever since. And 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 where did that happen? At the New York, of course, the of epicenter course. of all of my bad baseball feelings. Exactly, and I'll tell you, here we are now. Like we've got a seven game win streak, and then all of a sudden Boston comes to town. They give us one, but then what happens? we lose, right? They don't want us to be, they say, oh, they're getting too high in the standings or above the Yankees and Red Sox. We got to end this. Nobody likes us. Nobody wants us near the top. They like the Rays more than they like you us. You know who doesn't like us? It's baseball. It's Major League Baseball. Perfect example. This Masson situation, did you just see that court decision that now is going to go into further litigation and further litigation and further litigation? Look, Major League Baseball has been going to war with the Orioles since they tried to drag the Nexpos down here into Baltimore territory. I haven't seen an agreement that's a not an agreement anymore like this since Dexter Fowler was going to be an Oriole. I mean, come on. We made a deal, right? We made a deal. You can come. You can take away all of this territory, the TV rights from us. We're just asking for a little something, a little something in return, Right. You give us that, and then you just take it right back away. And not only do you take it away, but you just keep screwing us ever since, right? Like, you're not going to give us the All-Star game. My daughter asked me just last night, like, Daddy, you think they'll ever have a home run derby again at Camden Yards? Has that ever happened? And I told her, yes, it happened in 1993. But then I had to explain with a tear in my eye that led to tears in her eyes that, no, it probably wouldn't happen again. And, you know, she had an easy time falling asleep last night because I started explaining the history of Masson and she got bored and fell asleep. Uh, I, I absolutely do disagree with you, though. Of course the Orioles will host another All-Star game. Of course the Orioles will host another All-Star game home run derby. Just not at Camden Yards. They'll host it in Nashville. 
because that's where this is all going. And you of all people should know this. Well, you know, I've, I've heard the Fort McHenry quote, right? We hear Fort McHenry, Fort McHenry, the team's not going anywhere. And that's just about as true as I'm going to open up the books, right? John Angelo is trying to tell us that the team's not going anywhere. His wife is a performer. They love Nashville. You know, I was, I kind of thought it was cute, you know, living in Nashville. And I see, you know, told my wife, a Nashville native, hey, they've got this thing at the ballpark where it's, you know, country music stars and Nashville, uh, you know, comes to spring training and look at this with the Orioles. Did that a few years ago. And I thought, isn't that cute? I should have known better. I shouldn't have got caught up in the cuteness, right? Get caught up in it only so you can get stabbed in the back. As a matter of fact, I want to go back and retract this week on the Twitter saying engagement's cute because they're probably going to stab us in their back. They're probably Nationals fans that were posing or maybe Yankees fans or even worse, Red Sox fans, right? There's got to be an angle on this. None of it's real. You know what? I I I don't feel good about this. I I feel like I feel like this baseball, this constant attack that we're under it's it's poisoning it's poisoning our hearts matt baseball used to be a wonderful thing why can't we just go back to the good old days you know the the three-run home run the oriole way all this newfangled baseball it just feels wrong that's what's wrong with everything right now but i'll tell you i think we've got a man on the inside i've been thinking about this a lot matt because I have been whining for weeks and weeks and weeks about this liftoff that never happened, right? Why would he say that? Why would why would Mike Elias say that he was gonna do liftoff and then there was no liftoff? I've been putting this together. I've been working on this a long time and I think I know what's going on. I think Mike Elias was trying to put pressure on the ownership group to spend money. I think Mike Elias knew the rebuild time was over. It's time to spend money. The team said no. And so he got up in front of every one of those cameras. He's a cool, collected, smart guy. He knows what he says. He knows what's going to happen after he said it. And what did he say? He said, it's liftoff from here. And did he give a retraction right away? No, no, no. And when the story blew up, did he say, oh, no, 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 that's not what I meant. What I meant? No, no. I think Mike Elias is secretly on our side. Mike Elias has been plotting against the Angelos family to get control of the story so that he could bully them into doing what we all want. Matt, the call is coming from inside the warehouse. All right, we're back. It's time for Around the Bases. I want to start here at first base. And Matt, we're going to discuss a bit of a crowded infield. I'm going to ask you this question, which may be musically themed. How do you solve a problem like Mateo? I love the wordplay. Listen, I have, I've been on this show a number of times. We have a long history together. And so often I've, I've worked hard to prepare, make sure that my arguments were well thought out, being consistent. And I finally reached a point where I'm not worried about that. So I'm about to make a very inconsistent statement. I came into this season feeling like the Orioles should be willing to trade just about anyone not named Adley with maybe a couple other folks on that list saying if, if it needs to be Mountie, let him go. The fans won't like it, but this is about the bigger picture. 
So that's been my philosophy. Now, the inconsistent thing I'm going to say with this is like, I'm not ready to trade Jorge Mateo. I'm not ready to sell high. Um, I have fallen in love with Jorge Mateo. I'm not afraid to say it. Um, and I think that the, the thing in all honesty that I really like with this and what I like for the organization is that we talk about solving the problem. We have got good problems to solve. How are we going to fit in all these great infielders? That's a great problem to have all this young talent. And in addition to the exciting manner in which Jorge Mateo plays, the thing that I like is this is a guy that from the start of the season has had a target on his back. Folks were ready to have him traded in the off season um, and just knew that he was not long for the shortstop position. It was just a matter of time before he was replaced and he has answered the call. And so I'm in on Jorge Mateo. Um, and so solving that problem, I'm going to say that one solution I would take off the table is, is trading him. So you don't want to trade a player who is potentially blocking a Westberg, an Ortiz, maybe someday a holiday at the major league level, blocking someone like Henderson playing his natural position at shortstop, filling up an infield to where the point where Orioles legend Adam Frazier doesn't have enough at bats. Matt, how could you? I'm not afraid to live dangerously. I'm, I'm going to live dangerously with this one. Now, listen, it's still early in the season, and most of this action, we're looking at, at the trade deadline, right? But I think that, um, again, it's a good problem to have. And as we reach the trade deadline, we'll probably have a, a good picture on, you know, how sustainable is, is Mateo's play that we've seen early in the season and maybe toward the end of, of last season. But again, I'm impressed with the guy. I'm impressed that the competition that the team has. And I... I think that many options are on the table. And when we look at this, this wealth of, of young talent, especially right now, this glut of talent in the infield, we're looking at a wonderful problem that come trade deadline, we've got options, right? And what are teams willing to offer? What do we need to, to piece together? Uh, I think that'll be uh, kind of a fun solution. But at the same time, who, who can they trade that isn't going to create a groan among fans unless it's just that great of a return? If it, it, brings back that starting pitcher that we want so badly. Um, you're either going to lose a guy like Mateo, whose stock is high, or you're going to use lose young talent that we've heard so much about. Obviously, you're not going to lose a guy like Jackson Holiday, but there are other names that we're hearing about. Um, and yeah, we're, we're going to wind up having to trade away someone good, and we'll watch them succeed elsewhere. But again, that's that's the price of having so much talent. I, I agree in principle with, with the argument. I love watch Mateo play. He is so exciting defensively and, you know, watching what he does in the bases is just ridiculous. And now of course he's getting on base at a pretty good clip. I mean, he scored from first uh, base the other night in, in a way that so few guys in the league can come anywhere near sniffing. But I'll tell you that first contending team that has an injury to an infielder, you know, God forbid a uh, shortstop. I'm going to, I'm going to probably feel a different way about it. So I, I, I don't know if I can predict that he'll be gone at the trade deadline, especially with all that great talent behind him. But I will say that if a contending team has a piece and they need it, particularly in the national league, it's going to be, it's going to be hard not to see the Orioles make a move to do something exciting. 
Yeah, and, and here's where I go back to my inconsistency, right? That that original thought of almost, almost everyone besides that that select few are possibilities to be be traded. And you know, if it's Jorge Mateo, I'll be sad, I'll be disappointed, but also know that that's that's the business right now and where this team wants to be, not just now, but into the future. We're gonna have to see moves that you know create a groan, but this is a lot better position than in the past where you know you're you're making poor trades and limited depth. Now we have all kinds of depth. And so the fact that it's going to hurt, regardless of who it is, I think is a good thing. You mentioned Jackson Holiday, or maybe I mentioned Jackson. Somebody said something about Jackson Holiday. That's really all that matters. I have a question about Jackson Holiday. You know, each of us have have our roles in our specific locations when it comes to being Orioles fans. You in Nashville, as an Orioles fan, clearly you are held responsible for uh, checking out sites for possible future stadiums, right? That is that is your burden to carry. I, being a resident of Harford County, I, I'm wondering now if I am obligated uh, to drive up to Aberdeen to check out Jackson Holiday when he is somewhere where he can be seen up close and personal in, in a pretty intimate ballpark. That's a pretty good draw. I mean, the talent the Orioles have been pumping through Aberdeen uh, lately, particularly after it stopped being a Penn League uh, team and is now the uh, the high A club. Boy, howdy. It's pretty exciting to be able to go see a, a guy like Jackson Holiday, who has such an impressive makeup and did so well at low-level Del- Delmarva. Well, I just want to clarify real quickly, my role in Nashville should uh, a certain beloved team ever move there is to have the matches and prepare to burn down the city. Uh, but beyond that, no, I think that I, I think you are obligated to go see him play. I, uh, prior to living in Nashville, uh, we were living in, in North Carolina and this was uh, the dark ages of Orioles baseball. And so I drove a great distance to see you know Dylan Bundy's first minor league performance, which is basically him pumping fastballs past 18 year old kids. Um, and I loved every moment of it and had no idea that this guy was going to be any good, right? Uh, and then had the chance to see Matt Weeders when he came through uh, AAA level against the Durham Bulls. And I'd be there in the ballpark giving a standing ovation while a bunch of you know, North Carolinians looked at me like, why is this guy <laughs> giving a standing ovation uh, to this catcher? But it's part of the fun. Uh, and I think the opportunity to see them play, that there's definitely a charm there perhaps a more knowledgeable fan. I know, you know Ryan Blake was on the, the show last week and he could probably go and watch and give you a good breakdown of his tools. I'd be going just for the charm of it. And I think there is a lot of charm there to see these guys that you know are future stars, um, see them on the, on the path and on the way. So yeah, I think you're obligated. All to right, that. I will report back and let you know how that goes. Let's move ahead to second base. At second base, I'm calling this pyrite booty. And my question to you is this, are the Orioles good or are the Orioles better than bad? And, you know, we, we just talked about it a couple seconds ago that the Orioles were until tonight in the midst of this winning streak, beating up on the likes of Washington, Las Vegas, um, sorry, Oakland, as well as the Chicago White Sox. The Orioles also have played some AL East teams. Uh, they, they're doing okay against Boston and New York. Here's the thing. The Orioles have a 682 winning percentage and are still, uh, again, before tonight's game, four and a half games out of first. The AL East is the only division in baseball in which all teams are either at or above 500. So are the Orioles good or are the Orioles simply better than some of the bad competition 
that they've seen. Well, I haven't finished my drink of the week. I'm still, you know, sitting here with my orange Kool-Aid. So you know where I'm going to go with this. Listen, I would say the Orioles are good. They're just not great. And so I'm, I'm comfortable saying that. And it is uh, kind of an up and down experience. You know, I was listening to last week's show and as I was listening to it, the Orioles were just you know, starting out their, their recent seven game win streak. And that was at the time of last week's show, bullpen is struggling. The pitching is struggling and much different conversation this week. But in terms of them being good, when, when they started off this season and they're just blistering the baseball, all I could think was, man, if this team just had some pitching and a little bit of bitterness there that there wasn't more done in the off season to acquire that pitching and just kept thinking this team could be really good with some pitching and what's going to happen when they're not hitting the ball. Well, then you fast forward and all of a sudden they're not hitting the ball and the pitching is there. And granted, yes, obviously, you know, we're not playing the, the top teams, but I want to, I want to make my pet peeve very clear because I hear it in several places that the Orioles have had a fantastic start to the season. We have every reason to enjoy this. And I keep hearing the qualifiers, right? The Orioles are doing great. Second best record in the American League, 14-7 record, all these things. I know, I know they haven't played anyone good yet. I want to take that qualifier out. These games still count. That's a college football mentality, right? That you see a team that's moving up in the rankings and then, oh, they haven't played anybody yet. Just wait until they play Alabama and all that kind of thing. Baseball is different. These are all major league teams. When you know there was an unbalanced schedule and the Orioles or the Yankees and Red Sox are, are uh, dominating the AL East at a time when the Orioles were terrible and the Rays are terrible, you didn't hear people saying, yeah, but they're just, you know, they're fattening up on the Rays and the Orioles, right? So enjoy it. I think they're good. Uh, I think we're going to find out in the next month or so how good they are. But I am a pessimistic fan. 2012, I, I mean, I was not fully committed and hadn't given my heart, fearing that heartbreak up until about August, uh, maybe even late August at that. And at this point, I'm watching this team I'm saying this is a good baseball team. And I think having the extra uh, wild card now, I feel perfectly comfortable feeling like, yeah, this is a playoff team. Um, and so, yeah, I think they're good. I don't think they're great, but I also certainly don't think they're bad. Well, we, we've had a team to watch here in April, uh, which has been fun. But May is going to be decidedly harder. They're going to play some good teams. And when I say they're going to play some good teams, I mean, they're going to play the Braves and the Pirates who are off to a great start. Again, maybe their pyrite booty, uh, which is a little more appropriate for them, I guess. The Yankees, they're going to play the Blue Jays. They're going to, I mean, again, all off to good starts. They're going to play, let's see, they're going to play the, the uh, and the Rangers who are, are about 500. And they're going to play Kansas City, who's legit bad. So, I mean, I look at that and I say, yeah, that's a rough stretch of the schedule. If they can go anywhere near 500 in that stretch, I think that would be a, an absolute steal, you know, because the Orioles have a, a chance to finish like, I don't know, eight games and, and maybe in a perfect world, maybe 10 games above 500 here uh, at the end of April. You know, if they can, if they can be plus plus, you know, eight, eight games would be awesome, but they can be plus in April and then 
just under or at 500 in May, I think that would be an absolute coup. I think, again, I'm normally a pessimistic fan. I'm actually excited about May in some sense, right? Like there's the dread of, oh my gosh, this schedule is really hard. Um, but I want to I want to see kind of if this team can play competitive baseball with all of these teams and maybe get themselves some exposures as part of that too. This is, I think, an opportunity just like the Pirates, you know, are making noise and everyone's wondering, are they for real? Like, this is a chance for the Orioles to to have some of these young guys on a, on a big stage um, and show what they can do. And so I'm, I'm pretty excited about that while also acknowledging that, yeah, May could be tough. And I agree with your assessment that, you know, if we're hanging around 500, you know, for the month of May, uh, I think we're in, in good shape. And, you know, I'd even start saying, man, maybe put a deposit on those playoff tickets. All right, let's let's leave second base. Let's head over to third base. And I want to talk about history in a good way. And what I mean by that is I feel that throughout Orioles baseball in the dark ages, it was always that history was being made at our expense. Some pitcher was setting personal strikeout records. Josh Hamilton was hitting four home runs in a game. The Rangers were hitting 30 to three, right? History happened to us. We didn't participate in it. We were its victims. And just the other night, the Orioles uh, did something which they hadn't done since 2010, and that was that they completed a game in which none of their hitters struck out. And again, not to, again, call on the Baltimoreans, but I will. In their last episode, they said that it feels very weird that this Orioles team uh, seems to be flying in the face of the very identity of the Baltimore Orioles that we have known, right? The three true outcome swingers, you know, the Trumbos, the Joneses, the, the Sheriffs, the Davises, if you will. And so I wonder to myself, self, in this next era of Orioles baseball, if we are indeed to have a, a moment of success here in the sun, what history in a good way might look like for the Orioles. We're going to get to a point where we're seeing things more frequently that don't suck. I mean, you know, John Means had a had a no-hitter for the first time in you know, the, the 1989 um, patch it up game, right? What's next for these Baltimore Orioles? What are you looking forward to, Matt, for, as far as history in a good way that that we're going to see? I, I love the I love the question because and kind of your intro there and talking about the the Baltimoreans because this is a unique place right where to be able to sit down to watch the Orioles and know that you might actually be able to see something special uh, I think that's a a really a really neat thing and a, a fun perspective for for a fan and so I, I mean. There's, I think, a lot of things on, on the table, especially because there's so many things that this team does well. Um, mm. I'm going to take a very unexciting one, which is walks, right? And this team has made me appreciate plate discipline and walks uh, in a way that I never have before. Uh, I'm starting to understand more of, of what teams have done to us in the past. That's one where we talk about usually what's being done to us. And for years, it was... You know, the plate discipline of the Yankees and Red Sox, and they're going to wait you out and then you know get your starting pitcher out of there. To see guys like like Adley and to see him up there with two strikes and taking balls that are close, right outside the strike zone but close. Um, 
So that that's an unexciting category generally, but one that is is actually they, they've made walks fun. And so perhaps there's some history there. Uh, we talked earlier about you know how long you know Jorge Mateo might be around, but with Mateo out there, you think of things like stolen bases or or triples. Um, and I think we've also got the, you know, some of these offensive categories. I I remember years ago in the dark ages, um, and I'm really dating myself. This this is that old man yells at cloud gif. But um, I remember reading a piece, and I, I wish I could remember the writer because I feel like he deserves credit. But it was when the Orioles were bad, but Nick Markakis was, I believe it was his rookie year. And so Nick Markakis was actually talented, unlike much of the uh, much of the team at the, the time and the, the recent history there. And he wrote a piece about, uh, I believe it was a three homer game that Mark Akis had, how special it was sharing that with his son. And both in terms of, we don't see three homer games all the time. And we, to be able to, to share that, but then also that this was seemingly the future of the organization. That's another one where I think we, there are a lot of guys that, that could put multiple balls into the stands uh, one night uh, and you know create some some excitement there. I mean, we've already seen a, a nine RBI day from you know, Ryan Mountcastle. Is there a day um, where we see three, four home runs in a game from uh, one of these young hitters? I think that would be be a lot of fun as well. What do you have? What sort of things come to your mind for this? Well, I mean, you, you took the words right out of my mouth when it came to talking about speed, right? I think that the Orioles franchise record for stolen bases is just tantalizingly close to being smashed not not broken smashed and and possibly by two players in the same season right new bags uh new rules about how often you can throw over two guys that are speedy as all get out and getting on base at a good clip right i would love to see jorge mateo and and cedric mullins put themselves on the orioles map as far as untouchable numbers for stolen bases I think that the number of triples in a game is another one of those things that's just going to get demolished with the the new dimensions of cannon yards. I really look forward to to seeing that. But one that I'm really looking forward to is the pitching. And I think back to the series that we had last year against the Astros, where it was three games in a row, I believe, where the starters went seven plus shutout innings. I'm going to get that wrong, but I know it was Lyle's and Braddish, but maybe also Kramer was involved. And I remember thinking to myself like, wow, it's the Orioles dominating from a starting pitching standpoint in a series against the Astros. Okay, sure guy, whatever. But one of the things I'm looking forward to is that next time the Orioles go some ridiculous number of games where it's like starting pitching is dominating and we have some weird stat, you know, because they keep the weird stats in this sport, but it's like, you know, the Orioles have gone the longest in franchise history or the longest in, you know, the last 40 years of starting pitching, keeping a lid on the rest of the league. That's when I'll know that we've arrived, right? All of the things that we used to be a part of on the losing side is what I want to see, because those are the things that are a happenstance of when things are just rolling well for you. Well, I do want to <clears throat> do a little bit of fact checking here. Um, we're talking about records that could happen. I, I I will need to be checked by your listeners on this, or well, you said you had no listeners, so maybe listener, listener. Okay, I'll need to be checked by your listener on this. But I believe 
in the past week, there have been two records set by the bullpen. One, I believe, is the Orioles' record for stare-downs, which Anir Cano has already smashed during his very short time with the team. And then his fellow bullpen mate, Mr. Baker, has set the record for moonwalks off of the mound among Orioles pitchers. And, you know, you said with pitching, we've got all these little records. Those are two that I think get overlooked. And I haven't seen those celebrated on the mass in broadcast. I haven't seen those celebrated, you know, by bloggers, podcasters. I think it's time to celebrate those records. Maybe we could do some kind of, you know, 2131 warehouse numbers or something for those stare downs and, and the moonwalks. I don't think it's fair of you, frankly, to compare the stare downs of 2023 with past Ori's bullpen performances, because it is so clear to even the casual observer that the eyesight of Orioles bullpen arms was not good enough to execute a stare down. It's so painfully obvious that they couldn't see well enough to hit the plate, much less stare at it. And so again, I don't, I don't think it's a fair comparison. And when you talk about Brian Baker and his antics on the mound, look, I'm not interested in the hop. I'm not interested in the strut. I'm not interested in the moonwalk. I want to see him give hand gestures to the Toronto Blue Jays for the rest of time. Because that is what I'm I'm there to see when the Blue Jays are in town. It's the Brian Baker show. And there's no excuse, Brandon Hyde, for having an opportunity to bring him in in the pen, from the pen rather, when the Blue Jays are in town. Don't give me somebody else. I want to stir up trouble. I want to see him gesture to the Toronto Blue Jays. Now you have me even more excited about the month of May and that Blue Jays series. I will just say, I agree with the eyesight problems with the exception of, of maybe Kevin Gray. First of all, how dare you? Second of all, how dare you? Kevin Gregg? A Kevin Gregg discussion on this of all podcasts? Sir, how dare you? Kevin Gregg is not to be mentioned by name, though I've done so about 10 times at this point. He is, and forever will be on Bird's Eye View, the protester, because he is the Orioles reliever who would set himself on fire for everyone to see. I apologize. I will see myself out. We're going to leave third base right there. Oh, right. We were doing around the bases. We're going to leave third base right there, and we're going to head into home plate. And I want to talk about the bouncing ball of expectations. We've danced all around it in this episode. But again, 162-game season. We came into this season maybe a little disappointed with the things that happened or or more aptly didn't happen in the offseason. The Orioles had a good season last year. They were tantalizingly close to, to the playoffs and didn't do a ton to get better. They're just depending on the growth of some of our young guys. And so we're in this weird spot where we're going to go from week to week to week to week to week where we're terrified of the pitching. And then we're beating our chest about the pitching where we feel like the offense can't be stopped. And then we wonder where it went. And so, you know, here, here we are on Tuesday, uh, April 25th. The Orioles got crushed by the Red Sox. And it's impossible as Orioles fans who have lived through the Dark Ages, who saw Dark Ages Part 1, then the Buckle Up Birds era, right into the rebuild, to not 
expect that other shoe to drop. And so, I mean, I'd like to talk a little bit about the expectations and how those things change and move. And maybe Matt, if you can help me find out, like, what are the things that should be immutable for us all season for an expectation? And what do you think we're going to have to find out along the way? Well, I spoke earlier about how you know, I've overcome my fear on bird's eye view of being inconsistent or being wrong. Uh, and so I'll be, I'll be wrong and, and loud on, on this as, as well. But, you know, I, I go into the season and talk about it's a long season and take it, you know, you can't just live and die by every game and all these sorts of things. And then there I am on opening day when I think that they've thrown away a double play ball to cost them a, a win at, at Fenway Park. And I'm, you know, yelling as, you know, as my son comes back in the house and what's wrong? And uh, well, the Orioles almost lost the game. So live and die by the individual games, but also trying to keep that big picture perspective. That's, I mean, it is something that, that we're not practiced in, right? And remember when the Orioles, you know, in 2014, they, they win the division, but they were leading around the all-star break. And I wrote a blog post at the time uh, <clears throat> and it was, it was titled something along the lines of, you know, winning baseball hasn't made me happy. And the base premise was that all this time that I've been, been suffering through bad teams and, and telling myself falsely that all I want is a winning record, just let them get above 500, which, you know, Munchausen syndrome, you've been at it for 14 years. And it's like, just give me a winning team, right? And then it's not going to be enough. But what I found was that here they were at the at the all-star break, leading you know, the division, having a great season. And all I could think is, oh, this isn't going to last. And I was afraid of it not lasting. And so I needed to kind of build up that that muscle to to watch a full season, to enjoy a full season. This team is is good. And we know not just from our local perspective, but across the board, we've heard about the young talent and how much talent's there and how much is coming. And I think that that provides the, the groundwork to feel good about this team, that this is, this is legitimate. These are players, some that are there now, others that are on their way, that experts and evaluators have said, these are great players. They have a stocked system. Now, I think at this point in the season, like, you know, what's immutable and what do we need to be concerned about? I think, you know, the, the pitching, even though they've had, you know, a, a good week, we had this seven game win streak, this sudden turnaround, that's where, you know, I, I fall back on the phrase, well, there's a small sample size, right? They had a, they had a good week. Um, we do need to see, is, is that going to hold up? What is this going to look like over the course of a season as they're facing better batters, as adjustments are made? Um, so I, the pitching, I think, will ultimately determine how far we go. I think we're going to see ups and downs with the young guys. I mean, I think that, you know, some people are ready to be out on Gunnar Henderson after a slow start. And I think that's a mistake, right? That these young guys are, are learning at the major league level. Adley is spoiling us that a young player is not supposed to be that consistently good. But we even watched him in the last week slump as baseball players do. So I think for me, the, the pitching will be the, the question um, both the, you know, the guys that are there now, and then some of these names we've mentioned that will be coming back, including a John means, what can they do? Um, and then can we acquire any more pitching? I think that's going to be the story of whether this team kind of sneaks into the playoffs or whether they go in and, and have a stream and big. Well, I'll tell you, I, you know, I love, I love the Orioles. I, I love Orioles baseball. I, I have a, I have what can only be described as an Orioles baseball problem, but in my 
in my time watching this team, I have had to generate at times so much enthusiasm, so much excitement from a team that frankly didn't, didn't deserve it. And we're not in that moment anymore, right? This team is legitimately excited. And it's hard for me not to have expectations because I'm now reacting to excitement that I'm not generating, right? But it's also getting to the point where, much like you, I'm not satisfied with just not being terrible, right? There was a time where it was like, well, just, God, just don't let us lose 100 games this season. That's, we're well beyond that, right? And then it was always, well, let's just get to five. I'm, I'm way over five, 500, right? I know they can do it at this point. Last year, they were, they were able to eclipse that. The real question becomes, what is going to be good enough for you? And if they had, in my view, tried to try in the offseason, I feel like we could have the genuine expectation of a wild card appearance, right? They were real close. They were real close to being in that conversation last year. I hope that they're in that expectation this year. I don't know if it's a fair expectation, but it's, it's definitely what I'm looking at, right? And it'll be interesting to see, let's say the Orioles sneak in to the playoffs, right? If the Orioles sneak into the playoffs and then get bounced, what's our expectation going to be the next year, right? At some point, the Orioles have to continue to grow with us, with our expectation. And my, my concern is that the organization is either not built or more likely not committed to growing with us and our expectations. But for this season, my expectation is it's going to be a winning club. It's going to be a fun club. I hope that those two things, the winning and the fun, will carry us through to September and October. But I think this being a team that you have to supply the fun for, those days are over. Yeah. Well, and when you mentioned the, the commitment, keep in mind, we have an inside man, right? and maybe even two. So it's going to oh, work. You watched, you watched that episode on PBS, did you? I did. I love, those guys are really smart. I, I, I agree <laughs> with them. So, I mean, I think this, this is legitimately different in the sense, like even if we go back to 2014, 2012, that was some of the parts baseball, right? That we, that, that, and, that, and that's not to degrade the players, right? We had some, some great players, but we knew it was some of the parts. Um, we knew it wasn't built to last. And so the focus was the window and how quickly was the window going to close and was everything going to go right? Like 2014 where could have, could have gone right. Right. And then that window slammed shut. And that's one of the things with this, this rebuild as painful as it's been in years past, seeing and, and hearing that, Hey, we're not just trying to win one year. We're trying to build something to last. Um, I think that it, it's legitimate, right? These are legitimate players. And so I think that the commitment piece is, is, is the bigger one because I don't, I I'm of two minds where I want them to be a playoff team. I believe they can be a playoff team and I will admittedly be a little disappointed if they don't make the playoffs this year, they built that expectation for me, but I also think there's a danger in them making the playoffs because they didn't, make that acquisition in the offseason. They didn't spend the money. So if they can get to the playoffs, that 
maybe that reinforces the idea uh, among whoever's responsible for the payroll. We know it's not Jan John Angelos by his own accounting. Um, so, hey, we can we can win, right? We can be a playoff team. And so that's, I love having the extra wild card because it does make the regular season more exciting. It makes it easier for me to, to feel comfortable. Like this could be a playoff team. This is worth watching and maybe not take an individual loss as hard. But there's also a certain fool's gold element to it that, you know, how long will it be if, if we, let's say that, hey, things go great this year, they get that wall card. And then as you're speaking to, what about after that? Then the next year, well, they sneak in the wall card and maybe we lose a couple of years in a row in the wall card. It, it's going to switch very quickly to, okay, when do we get to see more? When are we going to do more? So I'd like to see them get, get the playoffs this year. I, th I think they, they could do it. Um, I think certainly if by next year they haven't done that, then I think you're going to start to see, despite this abundance of talent, you're going to see some angry fans, you know, like we, we've, we've suffered through, uh, while this has been a shorter period, it's been okay. Trust in this plan. And, and we're going to see awful teams, empty stadiums, all this sort of thing. Now is the time for the payoff and it's, it's starting, but I think you're wise to be thinking not just about this year, but the next couple of years. And I think those expectations are going to be higher. So you're telling me that you have had enough of the magic beans. <laughs> uh, I've been drinking Kool-Aid. I've been having magic beans. I honestly, I feel better than I normally would with, with the Orioles, but this is also, I'm, I'm recording this podcast after a you know seven game win streak that came to a, you know, flooding in tonight. But I'll say this, like at the beginning of the season, I have a friend that I grew up with, shout out Chris Hune, and he lives in Portland now. And he texted me during you know spring training. And he said, this is the first time in forever that I've checked spring training box scores, right? Just genuinely excited. And I immediately text back and like, yeah, it's great. And then started complaining about the lack of offseason spending. And I realized like early messages with, with him, he's one of my go-to for Orioles talk. I talked to my dad about the Orioles. And I was always bringing the negative, like, oh, isn't this great? Yeah, it is, but. And I was like, again, am I going to be happy with winning? Like, this is a time to enjoy it, and I am finding the negative. So I'm trying to deliberately shift and, and even say that belief and speak into existence, like, hey, this is a playoff team. I'm going to enjoy this ride because it, there, there is, as I drink this Kool-Aid, there is still plenty to be upset about, plenty to be concerned about. I just think it's going to be more fun as a fan to just believe it's going to happen and and hope that it plays out that way. Fair enough. Well, we've made it all the way around the bases. Let's leave that right there. Let's head into the dugout and let's see who won this week in Fantasy Boss. Oh, that is not the right music. And that means that something terrible has again happened this week. Last week, the category provided by Ryan Blake was a player that would have more 100.0 miles per hour off the bat batted balls. And that was a push. His pick, Gunnar Henderson with three. No better than my pick, Anthony Santander with three. But the reason you were listening to this ridiculous music was because Scott clicked on the issue that we punted from the previous week on whether or not the dong bong would still be around. We are still bonging that dong in the Orioles dugout. 
apparently it is it is still a home a hometown bread. And so with that, Scott takes a I will say commanding three nothing three nothing lead in fantasy boss. We are in uncharted territory. This is just a, a story of domination by someone who hates this game because he sucks at it. Scott, wherever you are, have a schnitzel on me, pal, because you are just killing it. So, Matt, you now have the the opportunity, nay, I say burden, of continuing this winning streak of his. In his stead, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and pick the category. I will then select a player first, and you will pick for Scott. And Lord knows, next week at this time, we'll probably be listening to his gloating over top of his music. So what have you brought for us today? You're going to have to give me a minute. I'm still recovering from the phrase bong that dong. Uh, so with the resurgence in the Orioles bullpen, the fantasy boss category that I would like to propose is innings pitched by relievers. All right. I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's probably not going to be Spencer Watkins. And having said that, I am going to go with my heart rather than my head, because I feel like if I'm going to go down this year, I might as well go down with style. And I'm going to pick Brian Baker. Brian Baker is intensely fun to watch. He's been pretty effective this season. And again, I hope to see him angry at the Blue Jays. So Brian Baker is going to be my pick for this week's reliever. We'll see the most. That's a, that's a good selection. And I think in order to kind of weave a thread that runs throughout the show, we talked about Brian Baker's moonwalks record earlier and Cano's record for stare downs. So to continue that thread, I'm going to go with Yanir Cano. I don't know. Can you, can you clarify for me here real quickly before I lock in my selection? Do you actually have to be able to correctly pronounce the player's name? in order to select them in Fantasy Ball. So say, for example, I say Yanir Cano, and Yanir Cano happens to be the one that finishes with the most innings pitched. Can that be a technicality that affects the outcome of Fantasy Balls? Having already spoken at length about Danny Coulomb, I can tell you that being able to pronounce a name uh, is, is not important. What is important is that we try to get it right. What is important is that when we are wrong, that we are able to fix it, but I will I will take honest mistakes and general bad judgment any day. Well, I am good for lots of general mistakes and, and bad judgment. So lock me in for it. The more you can know. All right. Well, there it is. There it is. The gauntlet has been thrown down. Matt's going to go with Cano. I am going to go uh, with the Brian Baker of my heart. And next week we will see who owned it. And with that. It's time to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll do the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's right. It is time again for the good, the bad, and the ugly. Matt is in the guest chair, and so I'm going to give him the final word. I'm going to go ahead and start my week with my good, 
who's Anthony Santander. Anthony Santander had a nice bounce back week. And in a week in which the Orioles offense was a little bit of an afterthought, he had a solid 135 weighted runs created plus. And we talked about it a little bit on the show about how he had disappeared and it hadn't really hurt them. And so I was delighted to see him bounce back a little bit. I was delighted to see him have so many 100 plus mile an hour batted balls just to keep pace with Gunnar Henderson. So my good this week has to go to Santander. I like that selection and Santander is just a likable guy. And so there's, you want to root for him, uh, obviously for the team to do well, but for him to do well, it's also easy to root for. So glad to see him bouncing back a bit. My good this week uh, is going to be speed Uh, on the base paths. It's Jorge Mateo on the mound. It's Felix Bautista. I'm cheating here a little bit. I've selected two, two guys, but in a week with so much good to only have one good category and then two negatives with a bad and ugly, I'm breaking the rules. So we're, we're not big on rules here. Ah, perfect. So the Jorge Mateo triple, what more can I say, right? If you saw it, if you experienced it, a wonderful regular season moment that felt like it had a postseason feel right down to Kevin Brown's amazing call um, of him going from third to home. One of those truly, did you just see that moments uh, that makes you glad that you're watching a regular season game, uh, even after the team has been you know, no hit uh, for seven innings. Now, on the other side, uh, one of my favorites, Felix Bautista, uh, and not just the speed, but the fact that the mountain is maturing. And the reason I say that, uh, it was Akil Badu, boy, name pronunciations, we'll see. Uh, Corrections next week might might be major. But so he caused the mountain to have a blown save uh, at the start of that series on Friday. Uh, He gets to to him for a, a single steal second, which... It sets him up to, to score the tying, tying run later that inning. And you fast forward to Sunday, and we find the same matchup again. And much like Friday night, Bautista did not have his best splitter. And Badu was holding on, uh, fouling off 99, 100-mile-an-hour pitches. And with 3-2 count, we're starting to worry that this guy's going to be on second if he walks. He's, and so what's going to happen here again? And Bautista threw a few different... Uh, Fastballs, locate them in different places, eventually struck him out on 100 mile an hour high heat. And for me, that was very promising because it says the mountain is maturing. We don't have the mountain whisperer anymore in Rutland Odor, no one to set him straight, but it showed that when he doesn't have the split finger working, uh, that he can still pitch his way out of a situation. So my good this week, speed on the base paths, Jorge Mateo on the mound, Felix Bautista. As a quick aside to that, Akil Badu. He's a Silver Spring native, I learned, while looking on Baseball Reference. But I also wanted to check, sometimes on Baseball Reference, they, they list nicknames. And I was curious if anyone was calling him Yabba Dabba Badu, because that's all I could think of. Like, I couldn't remember the guy's name at first. I just knew he was the guy that got to Felix, and there he was again. And all that came to mind was Yabba Dabba Doo, and says, do I name this guy Fred Flintstone, do I go with a, a Scooby-Doo Badoo reference? Uh, but if he were an Oriole, uh, Yabba Dabba Badoo is what I would go with. Uh, and I would give those naming rights to anyone that wanted to make the t-shirt. I don't think that I would go with a nickname. I, I think what I would do is I would work very hard to make references on Twitter that a very select and small group of people would understand. For instance, you know, if he was able to uh, provide game-winning hits, I would just mention that 
time had cast a spell on him and I wouldn't forget him. Or to say that you'll never get away from the sound of a batter who hits you. I'm in the big leagues. I am in the big leagues and I'm being reminded of that throughout the broadcast. Next, my bad, is going to go to Adley Rutschman being mortal. I was not aware that that was a thing that a person could do who was named Adley Rutschman. Adley Rutschman had a zero weighted runs created plus. I'll say that again. Adley Rutschman had a zero weighted runs created plus. He had a 29.2K percentage, no ISO, and a 200 BABIP. I'm not sure, but I don't think he was issued the script this week, which is that Adley Rutschman is amazing, is always incredible, and is fun to watch at all times. And when he doesn't get the script and he is not able to perform that role, it's bad. I blame Ryan Blake. He called him an MVP candidate on last week's show. Uh, We see what happens. Now, this week, I've probably cursed the team and they'll go into a tailspin and uh, playoffs will not be be spoken of. I wasn't sure that we could actually say anything negative about Adley, so he stayed out of my bad category. Instead, I'm giving the bad to the curse of former Orioles pitcher. So there we are against the Tigers, and before the Mateo triple and the inspiring rally, we saw Eduardo Rodriguez tossing nearly seven perfect innings against the O's. And then the next day, I open up my email, get the newsletter from Baseball Reference, and see Kevin Gossman's picture at the top. Hey, he tossed seven shutout innings with 11 strikeouts and only three hits, no walks for Toronto on Sunday. Monday, there's Alex Cobb. Complete game shutout. Complete game shutout. I believe it's only the third this season for the Giants to continue his strong start. And then just to add a little extra salt to the wound, I didn't even know this guy had a connection to the Orioles, but in that same baseball reference newsletter, they mentioned Logan Allen making his debut. Orioles drafted but did not sign him in 2017, so of course he debuted for the Guardians on Sunday. He got the win, eight strikeouts and six innings of work. So this was indeed the curse of Orioles pitchers past, and I say, spirit, show me no more. Why do you delight in torturing me? My ugly this week is going to go to Scott Magnus for taking two weeks off of this program. Now, look, I have delighted in spending time with Matt this week and, and delighted in spending time last week with, with Ryan Blake. But Scotty, come on, get it together. Two weeks, no snark. Two weeks of this whole I'm in European time thing and therefore can't watch and incessantly tweet about the Orioles. You need to get your stuff together. Scott Magnus, get back on a plane Get back here and entertain me. You, sir, are on notice. I'm going to turn that into a clickbait headline and say that Jake called his co-host ugly. So my ugly for this week, I mean, we talked about it earlier, and at the risk of repeating myself, my ugly is the upcoming schedule. May is just brutal, um, but I will go back to saying if the O's post a winning record, or I'll even say, as we said earlier, a 500 record in May, go ahead and place a deposit on your postseason tickets. You heard it here first, folks. Uh, Matt Taylor wants you to spend his money on playoff tickets. All right, that's it for the good, the bad, and the ugly. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to blow the save. All right, Matt, it's that time. 
Show's getting thin here at the end. Let's blow the save. And I want to blow the save by shining a little light on you, sir. First of all, a fantastic Twitter follow. And I'm going to shut up in just a second and let you plug all the places that we can find you, including the Twitters. But also just want to throw some love toward Roar from 34. Roar from 34 is uh, just a delightful place to read about the Orioles. And also the, the type of thing that you can go back to and read past content and not have it really lose that freshness. It's a it's a place for history. It's a place for Homerism. It's amazing. So Matt, please please tell all Birds Eye View listeners, as if, you know, both of them, as if they don't already know where they can find you on the interwebs. I wonder if both of those listeners are also readers or if my two readers are different. Uh, well, I, I appreciate the kind words. The the roarfrom34.com, uh, not the roar, it's just roarfrom34.com. The, the blog itself uh, has been kind of like the microphone person that goes up and taps it and says, is this thing on? The consistency hasn't been there uh, in recent years. Um, so the, the best place is at roarfrom34 on Twitter. With that said, um, you know, I continue to have some some things kind of in the works that I hope I can, can see to fruition. I do want to do more um, on roarfrom34.com, uh, but maybe with a focus more to just kind of Orioles culture and fan culture, because I think that's one of the things that uh, has really been fun over all these years when the team's been bad, when the team's been good. Obviously, I love the baseball, but I love this baseball community, um, and it's it's so much fun to interact with folks and to get the inside jokes on Twitter and uh, get to know people, and you know, including uh, you and you and Scott as part of this process. Um, so, hoping to do something with that. Also, I have teased before and thought before way too much about entering into the podcast space in in some uh, manner. Um, I thought that I'll that I'll tease here and this maybe will give me some responsibility to to follow through uh, Ryan had mentioned last week that you know there's so much great baseball commentary around the Orioles so what is your lane and what is kind of uh, the, the space that you're going to occupy I'm really interested in doing uh, interviews from the fan perspective on great Orioles moments or I should say just Orioles memorable moments they don't have to be great you know, when you see something posted on Twitter, like the Delman Young is the easy example, you see that there, inevitably you see the responses, I was there, right? I was there. So that's where I'm thinking about going in the podcast space of I was there and hearing people's memories of moments at the ballpark. Um, and again, we'll have the big ones, right? We'll talk about Delman Young and, and great moments, but also about what are those, what about those folks who were there for 30 to three and, and losing and what was that experience like? So Altogether, I guess I'm saying I want to really kind of use the blog that I've used in the past and then maybe use the podcast moving forward to kind of elevate the voice of the fan um, and hear more about that Orioles community because over time, that's what I realized. That's that's what I enjoy the most. Well, I cannot wait to be able to instruct my listeners to turn off our show, rush over to yours, and then if they're feeling charitable, to rush on back over. And for the moment, that that is our show. Please remember that you can find this and our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Bird's Eye View is available for download wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. And please remember to rate and review the show. Don't hold it against these guys for this week. Just rate it for other weeks. 
but the guys appreciate the feedback and it encourages other people to listen to the show for the first time. We want to go from two listeners to three. Come and get social with us. You can email us at contact at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. If you're mad at Scott for not being here, he's at Scott at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can find us all over at social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat. We're on the ticks and the talks. We're on Mastodon. But the best way to get a hold of us is on Twitter, at least for the time being, where we tweet at birdseyeviewbal. And with that, I'll say, you stay classy, Charles City. And Baltimore and beyond, I will bid you all a fond adieu with you. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.